Good morning, NBCC. We are so excited to have you here with us this Sunday morning. If you're new with us this morning, we want to connect with you. So go ahead and text CONNECT to the number on your screen and fill out that CONNECT card so that we can get in touch. Something that makes us an amazing church is that we serve together. If you're interested in serving and you want to get some more information, go ahead and text SERVE to the number on your screen so that we can get you involved. It's time to jump into worship this morning. Please join us as our worship leader, Mark, leads us in this amazing time.
So
the music portion of our service this morning, we want to continue to worship by giving. We've tried to make this as easy as possible, so you can either go to our mobile app or our website to give. We are ready to hear what Pastor Mike has to say through his word this morning, so let's jump on in. So glad we could be together once again at Mission Vale Christian Church, especially around the word. We are completing the book of Philippians today. We're going to be in the fourth chapter, concluding the last couple of paragraphs in verses 10 through 23. Uh, but before we get there, I just wanted to reacquaint um, why I entitled this message, um, The Grass is Not Always Greener on the Other Side. I think that uh, a lot of us, um, especially those who live in uh, Southern California area, we struggle with something called discontentment. Um, it's almost kind of like it's a driven inside of us that we want more, we want bigger, we want the best, and we're always kind of striving for something that we don't have. And uh, it's just kind of the culture we live in here. Well, Paul writes to this particular issue. Um, and as he's writing this letter, the ironic thing about it is he's writing about not being discontent here. We're going to read in a second. But he's writing from a place of actually being in prison. So here's a guy who's in prison writing this letter to people that he loves. He's missed them for years. And um, he's writing about the fact that he's learning and found a special place of being content in a situation that he's really in prison. Really, Paul has found freedom in a place of a prison cell. It's amazing. So the question is, how did he get there? And how can we get there? Um, I uh, just remember when I was nine years old, my dad, um, who was a sports enthusiast, he just love sports and from the moment we were little he put us in little league and basketball and just all these sports well one of the sports that he introduced me to was the game of tennis i remember the very first tennis racket that my dad bought me he put it in my hand it was almost like you know when he put that racket in my hand it became just part of my soul i just i love the game of tennis i fell in love with it i would hit against the garage door you know i was nine and ten years old uh, my parents got me private lessons 
rackets, um, just every playing weekend tournaments. And one of the things about playing tennis is, man, I played to win. I wanted to win. It was all about winning. And as we went on these weekend tournaments, I, I just remember watching on television after I'd finished the tournament, watching on television some of the professional tennis players. I mean, back in the day, it was um, John McEnroe, Jimmy Connors, Bjorn Borg, uh, Vitas Gerolaitis, some of these some of these guys that, that they just kind of ruled the world of tennis. And I remember watching these guys and reading articles about them and watching them on TV. And I wanted so much to have their life. I thought, man, they are living the life. They got money. They got fame. They got all the girls. They got homes all around the world. They get to play tennis every day. They get to do something that they love. I mean, they have the absolute dream life. And I was striving for that. I wanted so much to be a professional tennis player. I'd hit the courts every day, play tournaments. I'd do whatever my coaches said. Um, I, I, I was tried to be obedient to my parents because I wanted more lessons and more rackets and just wanted to play the game and win the game. Well, what I found out is the, the harder that I was striving for something that I thought was like the dream life, it almost found, it, it was almost like it was... Um, it became more of a distant reality. I became more discontented on the inside. There was more almost kind of like anxiety. There was this driven spirit of always kind of getting close to what you want, but never really getting there. And, and I think that is where a lot of us struggle. The grass definitely is not always greener on the other side. And that's what I want to talk about today. We live um, I think Andy Stanley said it best when he said, we live in the land of er, bigger, better, prettier, um, skinnier, smarter, wealthier, richer, happier. I want to be like them because they just seem really happy. I just, have you ever found yourself looking on Facebook and they're just perfect family and they're always having vacations and smiling and life is just wonderful. And, and we, we find ourselves in the reality of that's not what life is every day. And we think there's a false reality there and we strive for that and we're chasing after that. It's almost like we're chasing after the wind. I think a lot of us struggle with this. I know I certainly do. Even after I became Christian and gave my life to Jesus, man, I found freedom. I, I felt this, this wave of the love of Jesus come into my life and he transformed my heart and I wanted so much to please God and obey God. But there was always something kind of looming out there. The temptation was still there about the bigger, the better, the happier, and that life was just kind of waiting for me over there. Maybe for some of you listening to this, maybe podcast or you're watching this by video, maybe for some of us, we have always sought after the approval of our Father. And because we never really get that, we are striving harder and harder and harder. Maybe for some of you, striving after the approval of your mom. Or maybe just a, a friend or an acquaintance that you have that you want to win their approval. And therefore, we are striving and working harder to get somebody's approval that we really will never have. You know, Proverbs 14.30 said it best. I, it was really Solomon who wrote this book, who was the wisest and most wealthiest man on the face of the earth. He'd be, you know, the Bill Gates of our day. Uh, Elon Musk, he, uh, I just heard the other day, he's the second richest famous person in the entire world. That was Solomon. He had everything. And here's what he said. Envy rots the bones. 
Proverbs 14.30. He said in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 4, he said, And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. Question. What if we miss what God has for us because we are constantly chasing after the wind and never catch it? Paul, when he planted this church in Philippi, we're going to read the verses in just a moment, was in a life that was filled with always chasing after the wind. This is before he became Christian. He was always chasing the wind. Higher education, status in life, more money, prominence, even thinking that he was doing something recklessly, obeying God, and, and being complete darkness about it, Paul was always chasing after the wind. So I think even the Apostle Paul, after he got saved, there was still that temptation of contentment and being content. Remember when this letter was written, it's really kind of fascinating how the letter was, came about. Paul received a vision from God about a man from Macedonia who basically was telling Paul, hey, Paul, Please come and help us. And through that vision, Paul set his sails and he went to uh, Philippi and the rest is history. A tremendous church got started because the Apostle Paul was passionate. He was driven by God and he had a call from God. He was um, basically in Troas, goes to Philippi, plants the church. The church grows. It's vibrant. It's growing. The thing that was great about this particular church in Philippi is they were so externally focused. They were focused on others, but they were also focused on those who were not inside the church, per se, inside a relationship with God, and weren't in the community of the people of God. And so they were externally focused on people who just were lost. They, they were void of God. And so their purpose was, like Paul said, preach the gospel on all occasions. And so they continually lived for the gospel and loved other people. It's three years now when he writes this letter. And as I mentioned before, he's writing it from prison. Epaphroditus is 800 miles away, and he traveled all the way to the Apostle Paul in prison to deliver a gift from the Philippian people. And that's where we find ourselves right here in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 10. Paul receives this gift while he's in prison, and he writes a letter of thanks to the people of Philippi. It's awesome. So um, let's read together. Verse 10, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have, here's the key verse, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good for your sake to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm really looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. And I received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. 
To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Please, verse 21, he says, And greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings, and all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And he says again, Amen. Philippians today is written about rejoicing, having joy in the middle of a chaotic world, and how we can have that secret place of contentment no matter what situation or season of life we're in. Chapter 1, Paul dealt with the freedom of fear. Chapter 2, he basically dealt with freedom from self. And in chapter 3, he talks about freedom from flesh. And uh, in this particular chapter 4, he's talking about freedom from the discontentment trap. And, you know, what's ironic is he's in the middle of prison writing this letter. You know, this most famous verse, I think probably most every Christian could quote Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That particular verse I found is taken out of context way too much. Um, and that's the danger of sometimes taking verses from here and there. You know, you can really make the Bible say anything you want it. But if you take it in context, which Paul's writing, that word is not necessarily when you're in the gym, you know, lifting weights and you can do all things. You can do 300 pounds through him who gives you strength. That's really not what it's talking about. He's talking about, look, whether I have tons of money, whether I have no money, whether I'm in a prison cell or I'm in a palace, I know what it means in the heart of hearts, in the secret place of my heart. I know what it means to have joy and I know what it means to be in a place that everything's going to be all right with God. I know what it means to be content. In fact, I've learned it. How could he have learned it if he didn't struggle with it? That's why I love Paul because he's so brutally honest. So there are some key factors here. Just ask yourself the question, would you like to live in a place of contentment and not so striving after possessions and fame and, and all the things that the world is enticing us with? Wouldn't you just love to be in this place, whatever season of life we may be in, of being in a place of tranquility and peace and contentment? Of course we would. So there's some keys here that I think we can learn out of this text. I think number one, if you're taking some notes, is to remember to rejoice. That's Paul says over and over again. Uh, he says in this book 18 times, he says, or 13 times, he says, rejoice, have joy. In fact, he reminds them again, I rejoice greatly. Back in the previous verses, he said, I want you to rejoice. I'll say it again, rejoice. So he's definitely saying, I want you to remember to do this. So question is, why does he keep repeating itself, himself? I think he's repeating himself because sometimes we get out of our lane. We get off track. So what does it really mean to have joy? What does it mean to rejoice? First of all, rejoicing is a choice. And what he's saying here is that he wants us to remember to choose to rejoice in God. What does that mean, to rejoice in God? It means we rejoice the fact that we are loved by God. We are known by God. If we've received Christ as our Savior, we are saved. We, we, we are, have the favor of God. We are a child of God. We are in relationship with Him, not because of our good works, but simply because of His grace and His love and His mercy. We can rejoice the fact that we are, as the Bible says in Revelation, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So we know we're on our way to heaven. That's why we can rejoice no matter what's going on in your life right now, God wants you to be in a place 
of contentment. And that first step is to remember to rejoice. And just here's a thought out of this text. Your capacity for joy is determined by your level of contentment. Your capacity for joy is really determined by your level of contentment. Are you content living in a place of content or are you constantly striving for bigger, better, and more? Here's, here's the next thing I see that Paul, um, we can learn from his life as he follows Jesus. Paul has, I love this, he refuses to be resentful. He actually mentions here, look, there are other churches that didn't give money or didn't give gifts to him as he was just asking for need. Basically, he's saying there are other churches that didn't give, but I'm not going to camp on the fact that they didn't give to me. In fact, we know that Paul was a tent maker. He actually made tents on the side to provide what he needed so he could live. He could have lodging. He needed the necessities of life. So what he's really saying here is I am choosing to not have resentment in my life. Whether somebody gives or somebody doesn't give or whether I have it all or I don't have it all, I will not be driven by resentment. Man, that is key for us, I think, right now. There's got to be some, someone out there listening to this that is really struggling with resentment against another person. And if you really want to have contentment, you'll be willing to refuse to do it. It's simply a spiritual discipline powered by the Holy Spirit that says, I refuse to be resentful. I'm going to choose to do that. I think the next thing Paul is really, really clear about is he says, look, I want you to remember who the source is. The source is from God. So our joy, our contentment, everything that we need in life, it comes from God. And that's why we rejoice because he is the source. I think the next one is, is really plain to see is that um, he doesn't downplay disappointment. I think it's safe to say that Paul was a little disappointed that others weren't taking care of his needs. It wasn't like he was, you know, wanting to stay in the Ritz-Carlton. He just says, man, I just need have some needs here, and I pray that your church can meet some needs for me. But he didn't downplay the fact that he was disappointed. He was disappointed, but he wasn't driven by that. It, it, he wasn't ruled by it. He wasn't defined by the fact that he was disappointed on what others weren't or weren't doing. So... There's a couple of principles just to walk away with this about, man, just living in that fresh touch of Jesus, that, that fresh place of contentment where the Holy Spirit has got a hold of us and we've got a hold of Him. And no matter what happens around us, man, we learned that secret of being content. One is we got to stop chasing the wind, man. Stop chasing after the wind. Because the bottom line is, we'll never catch it. There will always be a better house. There will always be someone who's better looking than you or your spouse. Just, it's, just, it's just life. There will always be someone who has a bigger bank account. There will always be someone who's more successful. There will always be someone who seems to have it all together. And the more that we play the comparison game and we're chasing after that, we become so discontented that all of a sudden we, we wonder why we've lost the peace of Jesus, that he's right here. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That's a promise. I, I think the other principle is to stay in my own lane. Stay in my own lane, man. You know, whatever lane God has called you to, stay in your lane. We get off when we start drifting into somebody else's lane 
and we start wanting to live their lifestyle or we start wanting to emulate them. And God is saying, I gave you an assignment. I want you to follow that assignment. Uh, so putting all this together um, very practically, um, here's something that I'm working on in my own life. And I hope this is some helpful help out of what I see Paul doing. Is that we celebrate other people's victory. Instead of being jealous or envious, chasing after the win of what somebody else has. Hey, when someone else gets a new car or new house or they get that promotion or they found the love of their life or whatever it is, celebrate with their victory, man. And I'm so happy for you. I'm so glad God is just giving to you. And I just, man, I'm so glad for you. I think the second thing is make a decision now that I will not chase the wind. You will not chase after the wind. And number three is I'll run my own spiritual race, man. I'll run my own race that God has given me. You know, this, this entire chapter really is, is kind of ended here with just the joy of giving. I love the fact that the Philippian people just gave to Paul. I don't think they knew exactly what Paul was going to do. They trusted. They, they trusted that God was going to take their gifts, of their monetary gifts, and use it for the ministry to advance the gospel. And I just love the fact that the Philippians just trusted. I think of it this way, and I close with this. Um, over 30 years ago, I was in a room with about 300 other high school students. Walked in there, had no idea what was going to happen. I had no idea that that night I was going to meet Jesus Christ in a powerful way. That Jesus grabbed a hold of my heart. Guy got up on the stage and he shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, as soon as he gave that message, I was, I was done for. I mean, in a good way. I was ambushed with the love of God. I gave my life to Jesus and he started a transformation of changing my heart. But here's what I didn't know. I didn't know that in a church in Anaheim had sponsored that event, that I was here in San Juan Capistrano, that I was at that event. They paid for the pizzas. They paid for the band to be there. They paid for all the electrical equipment, the sound system, the video, everything that was involved in that presentation of the gospel. And they certainly gave money to the speakers so that he could give the gospel of Jesus Christ. I didn't know that there were Christians from Tustin and Anaheim and Mission Viejo that came together and, and gave gifts so I could hear the gospel and others could hear the gospel and others could find Jesus. So you, you never know what the blessed life looks like until you step out and trust him. That secret of contentment can only come from Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the gift of, of helping us to become more content in you, Lord. And I just pray, God, for anyone listening out there that we would make a decision to stop chasing the wind, stop chasing and striving, but to rest in you, God. God, I, I thank you for the love and the grace and the mercy of your son, Jesus. I thank that Thank you, Lord, that you died on a cross and rose again. And through you only, we can have eternal life, God. Anybody listening to this, Lord, I pray that now, even at this moment, that you're just one prayer away, that they can receive you into their heart. God, we just pray that your name is famous throughout South County. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you're ever in the area here, um, we always have services on Sunday morning, 10, 10 a.m. We're always online. And we're here to serve you. If you need anything, you can contact us. And we'll look forward to seeing you again next week at MVCC.